Yes, this is my first time teaching from this pulpit in this sanctuary since before August of last year because of the accident and traumatic brain injury that I suffered. But God promised I will restore health unto you and heal you of your wounds. Glory to God. So he has done it and he is doing it. Praise God. I want you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, if you will, to our text. Tonight is Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Luke 4, 16 through 23. This is speaking of Jesus, and it says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We have this in our Bible, what we call the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Isaiah 61 is what he found. But, of course, he unrolled a scroll that was handed to him, would have been in that day. And he found the place. It wasn't chapters and verses. Um, but he found the place in the book of the prophet Isaiah where it is written, verse 18 of Luke 4, Isaiah 61 and verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So verse 16 says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Brought up is a very human, very relatable term. Amen? You were brought up somewhere. David talked about being brought up as the youngest of ten children. And many of you know he was brought up in the South, in North Carolina. And his father died when he was a child, and they were poor. So this is how he was brought up. Jesus was brought up. This means he was reared or raised in a particular culture. 
and brought up means he was nurtured by someone. He was taught to behave in a particular way with particular beliefs. Brought up. In Jesus' case, he was brought up by his mother and his father, Mary and Joseph, in a very Jewish culture in a small town called Nazareth. Nazareth was and still is today a small town in Israel, in the Galilee. We have visited Nazareth many times. The population today is approximately 75,000, but in Jesus' time, it was a village of approximately 1,000 people. So in that small of a community, you realize that pretty much everybody knows everybody. Hence, when Jesus essentially announced this day in the synagogue that who he was, they were astonished. And they said, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? And in another gospel, they said, we, don't we know his brothers and sisters? I mean, he was brought up right here in this community. We know him. We know his family. And so on our first trip to Israel, which was in 1998 with Pastors Bibi and Vel Velma Hankins, and they had been, I don't know, 30 sometimes, I think, was their last trip actually ended up being. And our first, our tour guide, who was B.B. Hankins' pick, because he had been several times, so he picked one of the best tour guides, and that's important. That particular tour guide was from Nazareth. And even then, he said, Pretty much everybody knows everybody, you know, in Nazareth. He was an Arab-Israeli Christian, actually. Most guides are Jewish. Most of our guides have been Jewish, but he was an Arab-Israeli Christian from Nazareth. Then in verse, uh, the latter part of verse 16, it says, And as his custom was... He went into the, so he was brought up in Nazareth, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. One of the things that I um, learned going to Israel was that you can't assume that people know really much of anything. <laughs> um, you know, we really try to encourage people. There's no stupid questions, you know, and um, we're here to learn. But I found out that really there was quite a few people that didn't know that there's a difference between the temple in Jerusalem and the local synagogue. Two very different things, okay? Um, and the worship is so there's a huge difference between temple worship. There's one, mag there was one magnificent temple in Jerusalem. And as David said during the offering, the first temple, and Jews describe their history as, you know, with the terms first temple era, second temple era. So the first temple 
first of all, there was a tabernacle in the wilderness, and Moses, but then the temple was built in Jerusalem by Solomon, David's son, and this is where the presence of God, Shekinah, dwelt, the Ark of the Covenant. And the second temple was the first temple was destroyed with the, by the Babylonians and then the Jews went into exile and we read about their return and the rebuilding of um, the temple in Ezra, Nehemiah, etc. And then that second temple was renovated under Herod you know, just decades before Christ and it was absolutely magnificent. It was really one of the wonders of the known world at the time, and Herod was known for his amazing architectural uh, ability and design, and so, you know, the disciples were talking to Jesus about how impressive the temple was. So, the temple in Jerusalem was where all Jews came from everywhere uh, three times a year to the major feasts, sometimes more. Uh, some went just annually, but males were commanded to go there three times a year, and this is where sacrifices were made. This is where the priests served. The high priest went into what, where the Ark of the Covenant was housed in the Holy of Holies. Synagogues, however, were local places of gathering for prayer and for the reading and the study of the scriptures. And so there were synagogues everywhere, in every village, in every town, um, and certainly throughout all Galilee. And this is where um, Jesus, you know, went and taught. And then in the book of Acts, we see this is, Really, this is where church started, you know, was in the synagogues because the initial church, Christians were Jews. So Jesus grew up going to the synagogue. The Sabbath was Shabbat, was Sab Friday night is when it began on, and still does, of course, on Friday evening at sunset. Goes to Saturday evening sunset. So the Jews attended synagogue on Saturday morning. And so this was Jesus' custom. He grew up going to synagogue every week. And it says he stood up for to read. Now in the synagogue, again, no priests, no sacrifices. This is where they read the scriptures, read prayers. And there were seven males chosen to read the Torah, the law, each Sabbath. And the uh, reading of the law, the Torah, was on a set schedule so that it could be read in a certain amount of time. It still is today. Jews all over the world read a certain segment of the scriptures every week. And so seven men... Uh, read from the law, and then one read from the prophets. And the custom was when they read their portion of scripture, they would sit down and then a 
expound upon what they read, give like a mini sermon or exhortation regarding what they had just read. And again, the, the Torah was a set reading, but the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus and he picked, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And all the Jews knew that that is referring to the coming Messiah and the anointed one. And so um, it says that they, their eyes were fixed on him and they wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. So he was demonstrating what the scripture was talking about in that he was anointed to preach. And if you've experienced the anointing on someone strongly, your eyes are fixed, you know, on them because that's the effect of the anointing. And so the anointing was on Jesus. And then he sits down after reading this portion of scripture and they're looking to see what is he going to say about what he just read. And he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. And so that's when they said, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? And isn't this Mary's son? And then they actually thrust him out of the synagogue, really tried to thrust him off of the brow of the hill. We have been on that hill where they attempted to thrust Jesus off, but it wasn't his time, and he just walked through their midst. So um, there, just to give you a little understanding, the, there was a ruler of the synagogue or a leader but any male congregant could be a reader of the scriptures. And so this was Jesus' custom. Um, I also want to read to you something from this book that I actually picked up in Israel. It's called Living in the Time of Jesus of Nazareth. And I, you know, going to Israel makes you so fascinated with my takeaway after the first time going was very simple. Not so very long ago and not so very far away, God really did become a man and live on this planet and grew up, was brought up. He was born in Bethlehem. You can go there and visit the place. He was brought up in Nazareth. Then he moved to Capernaum, where his ministry headquarters was. And you can go to these places, and it's pretty amazing. He really did live on this planet. God really did become a man. So this book is really about everything from, you know, the... This is not written by a Christian or even a religious person. It's very historical, just to give you political background, um, the complexity of the religion of the day, and uh, 
geography of the land, military and domestic, everything. So there's a little segment about education, and this is what it says. At age five, a boy went to school. In the reign of Herod, the Pharisees had begun a program to educate every boy in the country. This was an entirely religious education. Boys were taught to read so they could learn the scriptures. Schools were run by local synagogues. General education finished at 13 when a boy reached puberty and legally became a man. By then, so by the time a boy was 13 years old, it says here, he was expected to know most, if not all, the scriptures by heart. And in talking with the guide, it was the Torah especially, which we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The boys had to memorize that. They knew that by heart. And then the prophets, you know, they were expected to know most of that as well. So the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, which I think is a misnomer to call the entire Hebrew scriptures, Jesus called them the scriptures. He called them the law and the prophets. And so this is what they are. And so boys by age 13 were expected to know most, if not all, the scriptures by heart. Pretty amazing. So what Jesus knew the scriptures at age, you know, when he was 12 years old because his parents went to Jerusalem for one of the feasts, um, the Feast of Passover, actually, in Luke chapter 2. They went every year to that feast. And by the way, Nazareth, we were, I was just thinking, that's like 80 miles, and they didn't have airplanes or even cars at that time. So it was like a four-day journey to go to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And his parents went every year. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to, to Jerusalem, according to the custom of the feast. And you know this story, that the boy Jesus lingered behind, and Joseph and his mother didn't know it. And they thought he was in the company, and they went a whole day's journey. And they sought him among the relatives and acquaintances and couldn't find him, so they go back to Jerusalem seeking him. And... They're very troubled, very upset, and he was in the temple listening, asking questions, and they said to him, his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have sought you anxiously, if you've ever misplaced, lost a child, you, you know, we, we went with Tony and Shirley one time to Disneyland, and one of their boys got lost, and it was, we were pretty anxious <laughs> looking for him, right? So you can imagine. And when they found him, Jesus said, why 
you seeking me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? They didn't understand that statement. Um, one of our Jewish guides said probably the reason why he was lost is because 13 is the age when they become an adult, that hence the bar mitzvah. Um, but the Feast of Passover was just before his 13th birthday, as he was 12. But so he, they probably had a discrepancy or a dispute or an argument between Mary and Joseph about whether he was an adult or not. So if he was a child, he would be with Mary. If he was an adult, he'd be with the men in this caravan that traveled to Jerusalem. So Mary thought he was with the Joseph and the men, and Joseph thought he was with Mary, and hence they went a whole day and didn't realize he was back <laughs> at the temple in Jerusalem. So my point, right, first point here, is that Jesus was fully human, right? We, we know he was God, but he... 100%, but he was also 100% man. And he, he did not even perform any miracles until the Spirit of God came on him at his baptism. And then his first miracle was at Cana when he turned water into wine. We sang about that tonight. That was the beginning of miracles. And so we know from Acts 10.38 in uh, the, the preaching about Jesus and his life that Jesus of Nazareth, that was actually a, that term is used, that title is used 19 times in the New Testament, the Gospels and the Book of Acts, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth. And in Acts, it says, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So how did Jesus perform miracles? by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the same way that signs and wonders and miracles and healings are done today by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the body of Christ that's on the earth today. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me into the world, so send I you. How was Jesus sent? He was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was fully human, and God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Now, one difference is that the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus without measure. The, there was, he had unmeasurable power and anointing on him. With us, the body of Christ, we are graced, the Holy Spirit is distributed 
you know, divided severally as he wills among us. But Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. And when he went to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus did not perform miracles as deity, as God. He was and is the Son of God, but he did not live as God. He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. He wouldn't be a valid temptation if he wasn't human. I mean, he could have just, you know, squashed the devil. That wouldn't even be a temptation, right, for God. But Jesus was fully man, and he lived as a man, and he laid aside his divine qualities and powers, and he could only do what the Holy Spirit showed him to do and gave him to do and anointed him to do when he wanted to do it. So with where Jesus began was in John 2 is where it's recorded that he turned the water into wine. And it says, on the third day, we, speaking of third day after he was baptized by John in Jordan and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And then three days later, he was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and it says in verse 1 of John 2 that the mother of Jesus was there. And his mother said to him, they have no wine. And it was very customary to have wine at this wedding feast, and they had run out. And Jesus said, what concern is that of ours, you know. Then he said, my hour has not yet come. And I, I read in a commentary that it, it's like actually an, like an idiom, what he was actually saying. In other words, this, <laughs> as Pastor Andy has preached, you know, Jesus' mission, his death, burial, and resurrection, this changes everything, right? Well, Jesus was like a natural boy, grew up in a little village. It was just, everything was natural and human about him. You know, Mary pondered things in her heart that the angel had said. She knew he was, you know, she was a virgin and things like that. But, and they knew from the scriptures. Here was my point about Jesus is that he learned who he was and his mission from studying the scriptures. Think about that. It says in the fullness of time, God chose this time for Jesus to be born. And every male boy at age five started learning and memorizing the scriptures. And Jesus found himself in the word of God. And, of course, sure, 
we don't have recorded in the Bible, but, you know, was close to his mother. He probably knew about his virgin birth. And so he knew he was the son of God by reading the scriptures. Then at age 12, he's in the temple. He knows that he's to be about his father's business. And so we just read from Luke 4. In that same chapter, early in the chapter, is Jesus' temptation after he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. The first thing that happened was he was tempted of the devil, right? And the first temptation of the devil to Jesus, if you recall, was, I'm looking in my notes, is, I know it, he said, if, see, when the Spirit came on Jesus, he heard a voice from heaven that said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we, Jesus knew from reading the scriptures who he was. And at age 12, he knew who he was. But here he is 30 years old. And I think about this because I have an only daughter who's 30. But Jesus is 30 years old now. And he's an anointed by the Holy Spirit when he was baptized of John in the Jordan River. And then he hears this, supernaturally he has this experience. He hears the voice of God, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he's tempted of the devil and the devil says, if you be the son of God, Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus was hungry, right? I want you to think about his response. We know that he's referred to the scriptures to defeat the devil, to resist the devil. He said, it is written. But think about this. He quoted the scripture from Deuteronomy that says, man, think about that first word, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. So Jesus was saying, I'm not, I'm not going to live, I'm not going to draw on my divine powers. See, that would disqualify him as our substitute. So Jesus being a man and living as a man qualified him as our substitute and it also qualified him as our example. You know, if he lived as the son of God, how could we say, you know, what would Jesus do? Do what Jesus would do, right? If he's, he was God, right? But he didn't operate as God. He didn't live as God. He lived as a human being, as a man. And so he said, it is written, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone. How shall man live? In other words, how shall you live? How shall I live? Jesus said, it is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but how? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. How are we to live? We're to follow Jesus and live by every word of God. That's how man is to live, Jesus said, to the devil. And so he refused to draw on his divinity. He could, even on the cross, he could have called 10,000 angels. He didn't. He obeyed God and he lived by the word of God. And so, when he was in Cana, what I was going to say about that is, he knew this is going to change everything. That's why I was thinking of Pastor Andy's sermon. What Jesus did changed everything, but he knew that once I start operating, you operating under the anointing, and showing forth signs and wonders and miracles. This is going to change everything. And that's really what he was saying to his mother. Like, my hour's not come. What has this got to do with us? But Mary, his mother, she said she knew it was his time. He had just gotten baptized and the Spirit of God came on him. And so she is the one that recognized and like pushed him, so to speak, into it. And she said to the fellows there, whatever he says to you, do it. So Jesus told him to get the water pots, fill them with water, and he turned water into wine. Praise God. And this beginning of miracles did Jesus and showed forth the glory, hallelujah, and many believed on him. So, praise God, and so God used his mother, of course, to give him birth, <laughs> and it says that when he returned from Jerusalem at age 12, it says he was subject to Mary and Joseph, he was subject to them, and he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. And so he was subject to Mary. Then he was subject to her at 30 years old at Cana when she uh, knew it was his time. And God, you know, used her there. And so Jesus, because he was fully human and lived as a man, he not only qualified as our substitute, which was extremely important, of course, but he was our example in every way. And because my time is running out, um, he was our example in how he honored his mother. Okay? So Jesus of Nazareth, honored his mother and so I'm going to have to skip a whole bunch but listen so much so that when Jesus was on the cross 
Again, Jesus is our example on how to live because of the fact that he was fully human. He qualified as our example on how to live. But even during Jesus' darkest hour on this earth, after being betrayed, judged as a criminal, scourged, carried his cross to Golgotha, was hung on the cross, and was in horrific physical pain. Hanging on the cross, it says in John 19, 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. I want you to think about, imagine the emotional pain that Mary must have been suffering to see her son suffer the way that he did. So, but in the midst of Jesus' own horrific suffering, this is what he said in John 19, verse 26. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that is John, the writer of that gospel. <laughs> and John writes, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, think about this, Jesus is on the cross, suffering, back bleeding, crown of thorns on his head. He'd been betrayed, he'd been... judged as a criminal. He is suffering unimaginable pain. And yet, he sees his mother and reaches out in consideration, care, and honor of his mother while he's on the cross. And he says, woman, behold your son. Speaking of John, he gives his mother to John. Think about that. And she was suffering pain as a mother seeing her son go through this. And Jesus cared about her and wanted to make sure that she was taken care of after his death and departure. And so he said to her, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple whom he loved, a.k.a. John, <laughs> he said, behold your mother. And then it says, and from that hour, that disciple, John, took her to his, his own home. And so Jesus was our example in many ways in that he lived by every word of God. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us. Hallelujah, the comforter, the strengthener, the standby, 
And we now can and should acknowledge and confess, and I want us to tonight, the spirit of the Lord is now upon us. Amen? Because, now this is another point I really wanted to make tonight, because he has anointed me, this is the purpose of the anointing, the spirit of the Lord being upon Jesus and now upon us is the same. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. We can say the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor. Amen. And that's most of the world, by the way. <laughs> but here's a point I don't want to... I don't want you to miss. In that passage, the text that we read, I have thought of it many times of, you know, preach, preach, proclaim, proclaim. That's said four times, really three times. One of them is implied because it says preach deliverance to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind. So preach recovering of sight is implied there. But it says... He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The Spirit of God is upon me because he has sent. There's nothing about preaching in that part. I want you to think about that. This stood out to me here recently because I'm thinking, oh, and I'm recommitting to the Lord during this time that I've been recovering, I'm recommitting, right, to the Lord, to the ministry. And I'm thinking about Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And I'm thinking, I don't want to ever forget about the brokenhearted. I don't ever want, this was the second thing that Jesus said, right? The gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. God cares about the brokenhearted. Psalm 34 says he is near those who are brokenhearted and crushed, right? So I'm thinking when I get up to minister, I not only want to, not only want to preach the gospel, but I want to be considerate of those who are brokenhearted, right? But here's what Holy Spirit pointed out to me. It doesn't say preach. It says sent. Sent to heal the brokenhearted. And then the example he gave me of Jesus being sent to heal the brokenhearted, one example is when he said, I must needs go through Samaria, you know? And he ended up speaking to that woman at the well who had been married and divorced four times and then was living with a man, right? Tell you, if you've been, had one divorce, that's enough to be brokenhearted. This woman was definitely brokenhearted. She'd been divorced, married and divorced four times. Jesus was sent to her. He was sent to her. And so, 
the Holy Spirit really almost had to correct me in that I'm thinking this passage, I'm thinking the anointing is to preach and teach. And that's a big part of what Jesus did. We know that. But we are also sent to heal the brokenhearted and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The Amplified says those who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, broken down by calamity. And when it comes to healing the brokenhearted or setting at liberty those who are bruised or oppressed, preach or proclaim is not in that part. This can happen from a hug, from being a good listener, by simply showing up. the Lord can use. And then what the Lord ministered to me and showed me was that there are those, because the anointing is for the whole body of Christ now, and some are called to preach in a pulpit-type ministry, a five-fold ministry, but God showed me and pointed out to me members of the body of Christ who are not specifically called to a pulpit ministry, but are anointed and called and sent to heal the brokenhearted that are not, doesn't happen from the pulpit. They're in every area or every arena of life, you can be sent to heal the brokenhearted. But here's what I especially saw was Christians who are called to be nurses, doctors, therapists, that is physical therapists, speech therapists, counselors, teachers, and yes, even mothers. Mothers are called and anointed to heal the brokenhearted. Your, your child's probably going to have a broken heart at some point in their life. Mothers. So it's not all about preaching. We are sent. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because yes, he has sent all of us to preach the gospel. Then he said, he has sent me to heal the broken heart. And then I thought about, you know, Jesus in Matthew 25 when it talks about his return and the sheep and the goats, and I got to quit. But, you know, he said to those on, on one side, one of the things he said was, I was sick and you visited me. Notice he didn't, you know, yes, we're, we're sent to go heal the sick, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But that's not what he said in that passage. He didn't say anything about praying for the sick, healing the sick. He said, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Just coming, just being there has healing power. 
be led of the Holy Spirit. Nurses, doctors, teachers, mothers, counselors, you are sent to heal the brokenhearted. You are anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has sent us to preach the good news to the poor, but he has sent us to heal the brokenhearted. What would Jesus do? This is what Jesus would do. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Do you receive it tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. Bless you. Jesus was our example, and he honored his mother, and he healed the brokenhearted. I'm finished. God bless you.